heard this morning. Is that's okay? Go to Mark. Go to Mark chapter four. Mark chapter four. hearing the the rustling of Bible paper. I think there's something holy about that. Your phone doesn't make that noise. That's not holy. Bring your Bible to church. Leave your phone in the car. Right? Maybe not. I got mine right here. Sorry. But I'm not going to scroll it while I'm preaching. Don't worry. I will, however, scroll my iPad. Will you stand for the reading of the word this morning? We don't do it often. I just want to do it today. Mark chapter 4. We're going to read verse 1, and then we're going to skip to verse 35. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got in the boat. While all the people remained on the shore. Verse 2, it's not on the screen, but I want to read it. He taught them by telling them many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Now, I'm not going to read the parables. I believe Jesus tells four parables. But we know from this story, and we'll pick up here in verse 35 in just a second. Actually, it actually says this in verse 35. I'll just read the first three words. As evening came. You guys think I preach long. Jesus preached all day. He started before lunch, and he went all day. And as evening came... This is after he tells about four parables. As evening came, the Bible says, Jesus says to his disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat, and they started out leaving the crowds behind. You know, sometimes if you want to be close to Jesus, you got to get away from the crowd, right? Although other boats followed. Verse 37, but soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping. All right, we know this story. We've read it before, but let's just, let's just take this in for a moment. Jesus was, let me tell I don't know how many of you have ever preached before. I know Don and Brad can certainly relate. There's a few others in the room who can as well. But you're tired after you preach it. You're especially tired after you lead worship for two services, preach two sermons, then lead a group in the back, right? You did that a few weeks ago, right? But I can just tell you, just preaching two sermons, that'll wear you out. Jesus basically preached four in one day, right? He had a four-service Sunday that day, right? Well, maybe that's the sign from the Lord we need right there. Maybe not. You don't like that. All that to say, he was, he was tired. What are you doing? I saw it. He was tired, so he's taking a nap. He is, he is sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a, on a cushion. Which, the reason why the word pillow is not there is because he couldn't find any pillow, so he got a cushion and used that instead. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we are going to drown? Some of you, recently, have been in prayer with the Lord. 
don't you care that my baby is sick? Don't you care that we can't pay our bills? Don't you care that I want to kill myself? God, don't you care that all this is happening? Don't you care? How do you know someone cares? Not by what they say. Talk is cheap. Jesus could have looked at the disciples and said, I care. Now leave me alone while I go back to sleep. That's not what he does, though. Jesus woke up. Jesus woke up. He rebuked the wind and the waves. Silence. Be still. And suddenly, the wind stopped. And there was a great calm. I pray in the name of Jesus over some of you today. I don't know the stories. I don't know all the stories. Some of them I do know, but there's some of you in the room that I'm seeing you for the first time today. Welcome to Lifehouse. Thank you for being here. But you are seeking to experience some great calm in your life. And in the name of Jesus, I pray that he will make himself known in your life. And he will rebuke the enemy. He will rebuke the sickness. He will rebuke the spirit of lack, the spirit of depression, the spirit of fear, the spirit of anxiety. And he will say, peace, be still. In Jesus' name. That's not where the story ends. Suddenly, the wind stopped. There was great calm. Then he asked them, talking to the disciples, why are you afraid? Which is this hilarious question to me. Because it's like you're in a boat that's taken on water in the middle of a large body of water, and you're going to sink soon. And Jesus has the audacity to go, what's the problem? What's the big deal, guys? Peace be still. Look, it's done. But then he asks a question that... We don't really like this question because we think it's insulting. It's not insulting. It's, it, it's, it's a question that's meant to help us, not hurt us. And he says, do you still have no faith? Some translations would say, where is your faith? And, and, and the where is your faith, if they were to answer that in that moment, they would have said, well, it was in the boat, but the boat was sinking. And, and for some of you today, I'm preaching this sermon before I even start preaching this sermon, okay? Some of you today... The Lord would say to you, where is your faith? Because for many of you, it's, it's been maybe in the healthy body that you've had up until a certain age, and then all of a sudden everything started falling apart. Can I get a witness in the house today? Or maybe your faith has been in this job that you've had for 20 years, and you've all of a sudden got a pink slip, a termination notice, one of those ominous emails saying, I need to meet with you tomorrow. Maybe your faith was in the fact that everything has been okay, but then all of a sudden your child became sick and the doctors couldn't find out why. 
Maybe everything was great. Your faith was in your spouse, in your marriage, in your family until all of a sudden things begin to shift in your home and situations begin to fall apart. Jesus would say, where's your faith? Was it in your body? Was it in your bank account? Was it in your job? Was it in even your family? Was it in me? Because rest assured, storms will come. They will come. No matter if Jesus is in your boat or not, they will come. Is your faith in the thing that you have constructed to keep yourself safe? Or is your faith in the one whose voice can bring calm and peace even when chaos reigns? He says, where is your faith? Verse 41, this is beautiful to me and crazy. The disciples were absolutely terrified, not of the wind and the waves, but of the one who told them to shut up and sit down. And they said, who is this man? You got to remember, this is still pretty early on in their relationship with Jesus. Who is this man? They asked each other, even the wind and the waves obey him. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that over the next few moments that you would speak, that you would allow me and help me to be humble, to be obedient, to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. God, to be passionate for truth, but compassionate towards your people. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. It's interesting in this story that it wasn't until the disciples reached the limits of their ability they began to call on Jesus. How often do we make a similar mistake? You know, we try to do everything ourselves, we try to do it on our own. And we succumb to this horrible theological saying, well, all we have left to do now is pray. When pray or prayer is your first response or should be a first response, not a last resort. Once the buckets no longer were effective at bailing out the water, once the sails could be no better adjusted, it was at that point they began to look around and go, where is that Jesus at anyway? I know he got in the boat, but I have yet to see him out here helping us bail this water. Now, you need to remember that these are experienced sailors, experienced fishermen. This is nothing new to them. Apparently, it's just a higher order of magnitude and severity for them. So bad that even though they were experienced, even though they typically knew what to do in these situations, here in this moment, they think that they are going to drown. And the disciples... When they go and they wake up Jesus, I think that we read this because we know the end of the story and we, we understand things about Jesus that at this point in their lives, they did not understand about Jesus. When we read this story, Brad, I think that we think that they were going to go get Jesus to come out and do what he did. He, they go get Jesus. Jesus, come, come here. Come here. Do, do the thing. Do the thing, right? Do the Leonardo DiCaprio, but wave your arm and say, peace be still. Not the I'm king of the world, right? Although it would work either way, right? I'm sorry. My mind works in mysterious ways that I don't even understand. 
No, no, Joe, they woke Jesus up because they thought, you know what? Jesus needs to grab a bucket and help us out. He's freeloading down there taking a nap while we're working our butts off. I can't say that in church, but I just did. It's Family Sunday. Everything goes on Family Sunday. Teaching kids all kinds of new things today. Working their booties off. Is that better? That's worse. I feel like that's worse, honestly. Working their tails off. There we go. We're good now. We're, we're kosher, right? Working their tails off, and they're thinking, Jesus, where's he at? There's another bucket with his name on it, and he's not there. So Jesus, go, let's go get Jesus. And they, they find him asleep on a cushion in the back of the boat. And they ask him the question that was so obvious. I, I don't know if, how I would have worded it exactly, but if I saw someone literally sleeping while I thought I was going to die and they had an, at least some ability to help me, I think instead of saying, don't you care, I it would be more like, what the heck are you doing? What's wrong with you, man? But they go to Jesus and they ask him this question, don't you care, Jesus? And instead of providing an immediate verbal answer, Jesus does something. And that's how you know he cares. Because talk is cheap, but how you know someone loves you or how you know someone cares about you is how they respond to you when you need them. And so Jesus gets up. Now, why is Jesus sleeping? Well, Jesus is sleeping first and foremost because he's tired. Because he is fully God, but he is also fully human. He's not 50-50. He's not half and half. He's whole milk Jesus, right? He's all, of the, he's all human, all divine. And so he's tired. But he's also given the disciples an opportunity. Everything Jesus does has purpose. Every, every word, every red letter in your Bible, if you've got a red letter Bible, every word that he speaks, every action that he takes, there is, it, is, it is layered with purpose. And so there is divine purpose in this because he is showing them, listen, you may think that I'm the one that's asleep to you, but in reality, you're the one that's asleep to me because you don't even know where I am right now. And many of, many of us in the room, uh, we, we've asked Jesus into our boat, right? Our life. We've asked him into our life, but, but when, when, when it hits the fan, you know, when, when it hits the fan, where's Jesus then? Oh, you know where he's at? He's where you last left him. He's where you last left him. Oh, you know, never mind. I haven't preached in a while. Like, I didn't really preach three weeks ago even. Now that I think about it, it's been a hot minute. Don't you care, Jesus? He does care. Someone needs to remember that today. Someone needs to hear that for you today. He cares. You've been praying, God, I'm going through this. I'm dealing with this situation. I'm asking you to help. Why aren't you helping? Don't you care? And you need to be reminded today that he does. You see, just jotting down some thoughts as I was looking at this passage, I think there's three types of storms we all face. Physical storms, emotional storms, and spiritual storms. With, uh, so we go with verse 37 here. Soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and the boat began to fill with water. How many of you know that storms can come up out of nowhere? You know, we, were in the, uh, we were in the Alabama, Florida Gulf Coast a couple of weeks ago, and and I know Brad said we were enjoying the sunshine where y'all were getting the rain, but can I just tell you, brother, we were getting the rain too. We were getting the rain too. 
Yeah, ain't that right, Kristen? Like, we were, we were rain dodgers for a whole week of our life. And, but what was happening is we would be enjoying the beach, the sun, the waves, the jellyfish, all of the above, right? Yeah, I got an experience with that. And out of nowhere, you'd start hearing thunder, and then in just a moment later, we'd be getting drenched. We, we would see a cloud, and then we would turn around and try to make our way back to our, our hotel. And before we could even get the walk all the way in, and it wasn't that far. It, we, were, we were in the middle of a typhoon, it felt like, right? Because storms come out of nowhere. And for many of you, 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 you have had storms of sickness, storms uh, of financial difficulty, storms of relational difficulty come out of nowhere. Here's the thing about storms. You usually can't control them. But you can control how you respond to them. And then with emotional storms, verse 38, the disciples woke him up shouting, Jesus, or teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Don't you care that we're sick? Don't you care that we're broke? Don't you care that we're hurt? Don't you care that we're scared? Don't you care that we don't know what to do? Because what happens is physical storms often trigger emotional storms of anxiety, of fear, insecurity, depression, even anger, offense. Which leads us to spiritual storms. Because the thing about physical, emotional, spiritual is you can't really categorize them that way. Because they all spill over. They all impact and affect another one. Here's, Here's the thing about storms too though. I've heard it said, and it's false, storms will make you or break you. Storms don't make you or break you. Storms reveal you. If life's, I want to say this, and this is going to be harsh, but you need, you need to hear it. We all need to hear it. If life's storms cause you to lose your faith in God, you never had faith in God. You had faith in a God that you made up that existed for no other purpose than to make your life better and easier. I know that's harsh. I know that's confrontational. But it's no less true. If, if, If life's storms cause you to lose faith in God, you never had faith in the one true God. You had faith in the made up imaginary God that existed only to make your life easier and better. He asked them in verse 40, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Let me say it like this. The storm did not steal their faith. It revealed their faith. The storm did not steal their faith. It revealed their lack of faith, right? So we all, we all face storms, physical, emotional, spiritual. Uh, the same way the waves spill over the boat, they, these kinds of storms spill over into each other. And the thing that we also would do well to see from the text that we read is that the storm that they were in was not a result of disobedience. It was a result of obedience. Some of you today, you, you could say, God, I, I obeyed you. I moved. I did what you said. I, I quit this. I started that. I gave this. I did that. And even though I did what you told me to do, even though I did what I knew was right, God, it still all, can I just say it, it all went to hell. And then you go, 
don't you care? What if storms come not because God has abandoned us? What if storms come because God is inviting us in to know him in a new and profound way? You see, they didn't know what Jesus could do. They, they didn't know who this man really was until they went to him in their greatest moment of need that they had ever encountered up until that point in life to where they believe if there is not something that happens, this will surely kill me. You ever been there before? Like if something don't change, I'm, this is going to take me out. This is going to kill me. This is going to end me. My story will stop right here. And they go to Jesus in their moment of greatest need and they call on him with the greatest de desperation they can muster. And then they begin to see him do something that they did not think could be done unless a person had divine power in which then Jesus shows them, hey, I am a man, but I am also God. You see, up until this point, they're looking for a Messiah to just come in and to make things better than in Israel. They're not looking for the Son of God to come in and bring salvation to the whole world. So what if the storm that you are encountering isn't a result of your bad behavior, isn't a result of your disobedience, isn't a result of God's abandonment or anger? What if it is a result of God loving you so much he wants to say to you, listen, I know you got something in you, but you got to go through some junk to get it out of you. I know you've got something in you because I'm the one that put it in there. And in order for it to come out, there's got to be some squeezing. There's got to be some storm and you've got to get some kind of desperate in your life so much so that you feel like that if I don't intervene you might die yeah. that your story might end because God wants you to know him in a new way and, and, and let me say it like this too God wants you to know you how, how many of you have gone through something in life to get to the other side of it and to look back and to, and to say to yourself in some way or another, I didn't know I could do that. Yeah. I ran a 5K one time. Y'all might be like, well, it's just a 5K. Shut your mouth. <laughs> it about killed me, okay? Don't be asking me to run no 5Ks with you again. I did it once. I, I'm glory to the Lord, all right? But it ain't happening again. I had been working out for about eight months, lifting weights and doing like cardio, uh, CrossFit type exercises. I wasn't running. Can I just tell you, there's a difference between being in, weight, uh, being in shape to run and being in shape to do a bunch of jumping jacks and push-ups. It's different. I, after about 10 minutes, I was very aware of how different it was. Okay? But I did it. I got through it. I'll never do it again. You put a gun to my head, I'm ready to see the Lord, okay? I'm not doing it again. <laughs> How many of you have gone through some, some stuff, some, some storms, some pain, some hardship, and you can get, you look at it from the other side now, and number one, you know God in a way like you've never known him before. And number two, you know, hey, there's something in me I didn't know was there. You know, the misconception that we often have is if I bring Jesus into my boat, it's going to be smooth sailing, Right? Listen, if I was one of the disciples, I would have learned pretty quick, like, you ain't getting in this boat with me. 
And you better not come out here walking on the lake later either, all right? You just hold your horses. Wait till I get to the other side. Then you make your journey on the cross, all right? That's some Bible humor right there. You have to go read the Bible to get it, okay? I'm sure they were thinking, yeah, let's get Jesus in the boat. Everything will be great. And then all of a sudden, like, this is the worst day of our lives. Many, many of us have struggled in our faith because we thought to ourselves, you know, if I follow Jesus, things will get better. But, but you would say, you know, I follow Jesus, but things got worse. Anybody ever been there before? We went to church. Oh, man. But my, my marriage still fell apart. We went to counseling, right? But it, it still became a pile of shambles. You know, I prayed and I fasted, but my loved one still died an untimely death. You ever been there? I, I, I tithed. Oh, yeah. You know, because the preacher said, if you give, it shall be given unto you. No, the preacher didn't say that. The Bible says that, just for the record. I started tithing, but I still couldn't make ends meet. Again, storms don't make or break you. They reveal you. They don't, they don't steal your faith. They, they reveal your faith. Is my faith in my action to do this? And if I do the right thing, then God will do the right thing back to me? Jesus tells his disciples in John chapter 16, he says, These things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. And, and let me just be kind of rhetorical here. In who or what shall we have peace? In Jesus, right? So, so my peace is not a product of money, right? Or anything that can provide me money. My peace is not a product of health or anything that can even provide me health. My peace is not in my job. My peace is not in people. It's not in sex, dr drugs, or rock and roll, right? It's not in distraction. Listen to this. My peace isn't even found in the absence of problems. Because that's not peace. That's just boring. Come on. The reason why you're still on this earth it's because there's a problem on this planet and Jesus has transformed your life, made all things new within you, and then commissioned you to go in the world and make the reality of heaven become the reality of earth. If, if you're, you're here for a, a purpose and that purpose is to be the remedy to the problems of this world. If, if there was no purpose for your life after you become a Christian, then you would just vanish and Scotty would beam you on up to heaven, right? But you have purpose because there are problems. And so even the absence of problems are not the source of my peace. His presence is the source of my peace. Real quick, I'll be fast. If you're in a storm or you live for the next three days plus when you experience a storm, right? Because if you're not in a storm, give it a couple of days. Give it a couple of weeks. Give it a couple of minutes. I mean, you know what I'm saying? They're going to come, right? Remember his promise. If you're in a storm, 
Remember his promise. Jesus said to his disciples first and foremost, what did he say? Do you guys remember? After he was done preaching, what did he, come on, this is Bible quiz time, JBQ. Let's cross over to the other side. All right, let's pretend like that didn't happen. All right. Just rewind for a moment. Number one, remember his promise. Do you guys remember what Jesus said at the very beginning of, of what we read in verse 35 after he had preached all day? He did not say, let's get in the boat and go drown. <laughs> let's get in the boat and go fight for our lives. No, he said, let's get in the boat and let's cross over to the other side. So why were they scared they were going to drown in the middle of the storm? It's because they didn't listen to his word. They forgot his promise. So in the middle of their circumstances, in the middle of their, uh, their storm, his word was distanced from their heart. And they forgot, I've already heard a word from the Lord. He said, I'm going to the other side. I'm not going to die. I'm not going to drown. I'm not going to stay here in the middle of this boat. So sometimes the reason why you start panicking in the middle of the storm is either, number one, you've never been close enough to him to hear his word to get a promise for him. Maybe you need to open this up sometimes. Or, or number two, you, you've put Jesus in the back of the boat somewhere. And you said, all right, Jesus, you can have this small quadrant of my life. You get Sundays, you might get Wednesdays, and you might get a life group every other week. But the rest of my life, what I decide to do for fun, the places I go that where your name is not honored, uh, the, the way I speak to people, the things I post on the internet, the things that I look at from the internet, uh, that's all me. That's my life. You go back here where you belong. Get back in the back of the boat, Jesus. Are you laughing, but how many times have we been guilty of it? Oh, Jesus, you don't get to be captain over the whole boat. This is my boat. And you go back there. See, it doesn't work that way. Remember his promise. I'm sorry, I'm being a little rude to you, aren't I? Which leads into what I just said. Number two, cultivate his presence. You see, you, you'll never experience the fullness. Sorry, Ben, your base is back here being the prop Jesus. <laughs> You'll never experience the fullness of the peace of God as long as you relegate his presence to a single portion of your life. You'll never have or walk in all that God has for you unless he is Lord, not of a day of the week or a percentage of your bank account or a few hours of a weekday. Unless he is Lord of your life, you will never truly walk in all that he has for you. The peace. See, Jesus, you want him to be Lord of your storm, but he's got to be Lord of your life first. And, you know, we pray these prayers and we, we talk about, oh, Jesus is Lord of my life. Again, how do we know Jesus cares? It's because he does something. Not because he says he cares, but because he does something. Well, how do you know, how do I know, how does he know that he's Lord of your life? Not because you prayed a prayer, not because you said so, but because you live like he is. 
And so they took Jesus in the boat. I'm kind of repeating myself. And that's great. It's great to have Jesus in your boat. And, and if you haven't catch, caught on by now, boat is another word for life in the way I'm kind of doing it, okay? It's great to have Jesus in your boat. It's great to have Jesus in your life. <clears throat> but where was Jesus when the boat began to sink? He was back there in that part of the boat where they had relegated him to. Now, God is so good and so gracious that even though we have put him back here, we've stuffed him into this little corner of our life, and we've said to him, you can have Sunday morning two times a week, two times a month, because, you know, every other Sunday I'm going to go play golf, or every other Sunday I got a game, or every other Sunday I got this. So you can have this every other Sunday. You can have Wednesday nights when I get off work in time. You, you, you can have a portion of my income, but I can't give you 10% because that's just too much. And, you know, somebody else will have to give to missions. Am I, am I okay? I know y'all were good in a moment, but now I'm like meddling, so you're, you're upset about it. You know, uh, but, but uh, you, you can't have my, my web browser history. You, you can't have my Netflix queue. You, you, can't, you can't have my music playlists. You, you can't have... The, the substances that, you know, I mean, I'm, they may be a little shady how I got them, but, you know, I need them, so they're for me. You okay? You, you can't have my email and my text threads where I'm saying things that don't honor you and, and don't glorify you. You can't have that. And then, and then, and then life happens. And then, Jesus? Je Jesus? Jesus? I know I'll put you in this boat somewhere. Where'd you go? Oh, you back? Come, hey, hey, come out from the back of that boat, Jesus. You don't belong back there. Come on out here up front. Hey, by the way, got a little action happening out here. Just wondering if you could do something about that. You, you see all this stuff? Yeah, I just thought maybe you had something to say to it. We need to cultivate his presence, not just when the storms come, right? If you only pray when things are going bad, that, you don't have faith in God. You've got faith in a God who exists to serve you, not you existing to serve him. And instead of God having created us in his image, what we have often done is we've tried to create him in our image. God, if you can just... Do what I need you to do. If you can just do what I'm asking. And so, how do you cultivate his presence? Well, you live a life of worship. God, I, I crucify myself. I die to myself. That's what worship is. Like I know, I know we have great worship encounters, but understand that music is a tool that helps us worship. It's not worship itself. It's actually, to be better said, it's the primary purpose of music in church is to help us worship corporately together. But to live a life of worship means that even on Monday, with no music playing, you're first in my life. I die to my own preferences so I can live the life you call me to live. 
So, so we, we commit to live a life of worship. We commit to live a life where we listen for the Holy Spirit, that when he gives us direction, that we go. You know, many of us, we want God to speak to us so that we can operate in the gifts of the Spirit. But, but what's even more important than that is that we ask God to speak to us so we can operate in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Maybe I didn't miss one. Gentleness. Yes. What? Patience. Patience. Yeah, bruh, bruh. Get thee behind me. We'll be bringing that up in my sermon. You see which one I struggle with. <laughs> so we can live a life of worship. We can listen to the Holy Spirit so we can pray. Not just when we have a need, but... Maybe even when somebody else has a need. And then so we can gather. You know, the purpose of gathering is to build one another up in the faith, to strengthen one another, to encourage one another. Most of you think that you come to church so you can hear a sermon, but I would submit to you that the primary purpose of your gathering is so that you, before and after service, can encourage one another, build one another up, pray for one another, love one another, hug one another, lift one another up. So, so we cultivate his presence. And then last but certainly not least, we reflect his posture. Mark's source for this story, we're, we read from the Gospel of Mark. It's, it's important that you know that, that Mark was not a follower. He wasn't a disciple of Jesus while Jesus was, was living. But Peter was. And Mark was someone who ministered with Peter. There's a lot of movement, so just try to stay with me, okay? And so, so Peter is telling this story to Mark many years later as Mark is recording it. And, and Peter is so explicit as he tells this story to Mark that he includes the cushion of all things. He doesn't just say, Jesus was asleep, Jesus was taking a nap. No, it's Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat on a cushion. And I'm sure if he went on, he's probably like, yeah, he was snoring logs, man. Like he was like, he was, he was out. So, so what I like about that though is, is think about this. When the storm came, the disciples grabbed buckets, but Jesus grabbed a pillow. That was his posture in the middle of the storm. He rested in the storm. How did he rest in, in, in the storm? How did he relax when chaos was trying to reign supreme? How... How did he take a step back in surrender when, when everything around him was falling apart? How did he rest? This is how did he rest when everyone else was restless? Two thoughts. You guys with me still? Number one. Holy fear eliminates human fear. Holy fear eliminates human fear. I love it. Later on, the disciples get some holy fear in them, Kenny. The disciples look at Jesus, the man who had just spoken to the weather, to the elements, to the sea, and to the wind, and said, peace be still. And the Bible says the disciples were absolutely terrified, not of the storm, but of the man that had the power to calm the storm. That's holy fear. Doesn't mean that I want to run away from God. It means that I want to be really close to him. 
that my fear of God is not in in his power what he could do to me my fear of God is, is related to my I don't want to be far from him I need him and holy fear works to eliminate human fear that you can be so close to the Lord that all hell can be breaking uh, loose around you that you were so close to him that I'm not worried about that God's got it you know why I know God's got it because God's got me because I'm close to him Jesus ain't just in my boat. He's right up here beside me. Jesus is not a a distant passenger. Can I just be corny for a minute and say, Jesus is captain. Jesus is the one calling the shots. I'm the passenger in the backseat. Wherever you you want to go, Jesus, I'm good with that. Wherever you want to take me. You want to go this way? Let's go that way. I'm good with that. You want me to adjust the sails? All right, I'll get that right there. Jesus, I'm I'm on your boat. You ain't on my boat. I'm on your boat. Jesus, you're not part of my story. I want to be part of your story. Got a few of you on board with me today. Holy fear eliminates human fear. Someone needs to hear the thing that you're scared of is more scared of you than you are of it. And we ain't talking about lions and tigers and bears, oh my. Okay, we're talking about the, the plans and the works of the enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Like, I honestly believe with all of my heart that the thing that terrifies him most is for you to find out who you really are in the Lord. I'm not a victim. I'm not a victim of my circumstances. I'm an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. So how did Jesus rest while everyone else was restless? Holy fear. He knows who he is. He knows his Father. and He's close. And the second thing is like, he's got a purpose. So we didn't read this part, but he's about to go to a region called Gesera or to the Gerasenes. And there's a naked demon-possessed man been running around a graveyard for a bunch of years. Jesus is going to go cast the devil out of him. Y'all say, I can't believe this pastor saying all this stuff. I'm not. It's in the Bible. Read it, man. Come on. Jesus has got a mission. There's a man that needs freedom. Can I just tell you, my God, you need to hear this. The Lord has a purpose for your life. And as long as you are living to get through the day to the next day, you will never live in the purposes of God for your life. You got to get close to him. You got to get a word from the Lord to hear his promise, to cultivate his presence and say, God, I need a word. Lord, what's my purpose? What have you called me to do? He's got a plan. He's got a purpose for you. And it's not to give you money and and, and to give you houses and to give you cars and to give you great health. Let me tell you something. He might do that. But that is not the best life God can give you. The best life God can give you is that one day when you get to see him face to face, he can say, hey, look behind you back there. And you turn around and you see through the life of obedience that you have lived and through the sacrifices that you made while you were living in this world, the eternal rewards that you have gained as a result of your dedication and commitment to Him. Man, that's the good life. That's the best life. That is eternal life. Any blessing He gives you, it's not for you to hoard. It's for you to be a conduit to give to someone else. Any position that he gives you, it's not for you to brag. It's for you to stoop down lower and to make others around you better and greater. Come on, that's what Jesus does, right? Come on, will you stand with me? The presence of the storm in your life 
is not evidence of the absence of God. Instead, it is an invitation to know Him in a new way. The storms are going to come, but your faith will not be in your boat. Your faith will be in Him. He's the one your faith is in. I started this off as I was reading. The disciples come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, don't you care that we're about to drown? And I want to take you to another promise that he gives us in Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to have an altar call and I want to ask whoever responds to this to please come to the altar. You need rest today because you have been living in the middle of chaos. You have been living in the middle of doubt. You've been living in the middle of the storm and you have been restless. You are weary. You are tired and you need rest. You need to go to the one who can give you rest. You need to experience his power calm the storms in your life. If that's you, if that's your need, if that's your prayer, I want to pray with you before we leave today. We've got baptisms in just a few moments, but we're not going to rush through this. If that's you, you say, Pastor Drew, I need rest today. I don't, we're not talking about a nap in the back of a boat. We're talking about rest for your soul, rest for your mind, rest for your spirit today. If you need rest, if you need rest today, I want to invite you to this altar right now. Please come.